Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reevaluate bad films through a leftist perspective. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And we're back to just a two-man crew again after a very successful um, month-long slate of guest review episodes. Yeah, folks, we are back in the saddle again. Yeah, um, back in the Ghost Rider motorcycle saddle, which is obviously Lewis's position because he loves Ghost Rider, and I'm in the sidecar, just um, podcasting from the from the from the <laughs> from the side seat there. <laughs> uh, however, this is not an episode on the Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. I know you're all looking forward to that, but you know it's coming. To it's, wait for it's that, coming down folks. the pike. Yep, coming down the pike. One one of these days. Um, uh, sorry for the tease, but no, this is actually. Um, a film not near and dear to my heart. I don't know what I was about to say there, but um, the original, <laughs> far away from yeah, far heart. away from my heart. Although the original films, uh, they do have a place in my uh, my film literacy and, and pedagogy. This film is Death Wish from 2018, <laughs> directed by Eli Roth of Hostile Fame, uh, remake of the Charles Bronson Death Wish. Uh, from 1974, directed by Michael Winner. So, yeah, I wouldn't say these films are near and dear to my heart, but my dad was a huge fan of these films. I grew up always listening to him (laughs) describe certain scenes from these films, especially Death Wish 3. (laughs) I've I've never seen them, but that's... I I know already that that's the best one, just based on the the GIFs in the the footage that I've seen, like the the random kills and, and elderly elderly Charles Bronson like lugging around guns and and blowing people up with bazookas yeah I mean the whole film is kind of like this elderly brigade like that one he has uh (laughs) his friend uh who's another Korean war vet and like they just go through the streets with basically like a a, a, what would be a jeep mounted turret just like mowing down people um (laughs) yeah so don't, don't they don't they face off against like this gang that's like it's like a warriors style gang like they all they have are. a theme mm-hmm. yeah and they're all, oh my God. they have like face paint they all have face paint they're kind of like that's they're amazing. dressed like 80s punks and they also have like war paint like face paint that's incredible yeah um, it's ridiculous um but it, it, it's just a korean war vet version of cowboys and indians gone wrong yeah it really is um this film is not however the the this remake starring bruce willis elizabeth shue Vincent D'Onofrio, Camilla Marone, Kimberly Elise, and Dean Norris of uh, Breaking mm-hmm. Bad fame mm-hmm. um, is pretty, you know, Hughes pretty close to the original um, in most respects, I would say, um, at least thematically in terms of overall tone. Superficially, it's very much the same movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's it's the same plot hot beats like i haven't seen the first, the original death wish but i know the basic story um very yeah very very similar but it, it kind of like walks ass backwards into a weird leftist message that we'll get into yeah definitely i think i think the original is is hard to walk in any direction into uh yes. any kind of uh, left or left-leaning interpretation um charles bronson thought it was actually a critique of vigilantism. Michael Winner, really? the director, did not because he was an arch reactionary who was part of the Conservative Party in the UK and voted for or was a proponent of uh, Margaret Thatcher. Oh, damn. More like Michael Loser. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Um, seems like just an awful human being uh, all, all around. Yeah, Jesus. And and the author of the original book, uh, Brian yes. Garfield, uh, hated the films as well. 
Yeah, there's a really interesting little twist there in in terms of how he received the original that we can um, we can go into a little bit later. But yeah, the the, the first movie has a very complicated legacy um, if you look beneath the surface and 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 like I was saying, it it kind of resonates here as well. Um, what the creator's intent is, what what the audience reception of of a piece of what amounts to agitprop basically becomes. Um, so yeah, th- there is a lot going on underneath the hood of this movie that I, I wasn't really expecting. And in addition, it, it, it's, it's just kind of shot well and like it is like a well-structured story too. Yeah, for sure, which is strange considering like it was rewritten numerous times, my understanding. Yeah. Joe Carnahan, yeah. who's the director of the film uh, The Grey, um, starring Liam Neeson, I believe. Uh, and Liam it, Neeson and, and a bunch of doggos. Yes, and a bunch of doggos. <laughs> and I think he also did the A-Team remake movie. Yeah, oh my yeah. God, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 I think so. He wrote the screenplay for this film, or the original screenplay, which was purchased by MGM, and then, you know, script doctored to hell is my understanding. He's disowned the film. He says he actually still thinks he'll make his version of the script one day, um, oh which took place in L.A. And he said it was supposed to be more of like a Michael Mann heat style film. Um, this film takes place in Chicago. The original uh, 1974 film took place in New York. Um, it's funny, actually. So it's the inverse of the this film is the inverse of the original. The original he's from New York and then moves to Chicago. Um, so the right. second film takes place in Chicago, and in this, it's he he's from Chicago and moves to New York at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's that's wild yeah they're, they're hitting all the major american urban centers they're gonna have to do austin next <laughs> austin <laughs> austin Bishop. yeah or detroit like that's that's you know i mean maybe we're kind of past yeah. that in in the in the zeitgeist um fears about yeah, detroit th- i don't know yeah that's a little that's a little dated at this point but i don't know we'll see this this franchise clearly has legs um yeah but uh this this movie was a financial success it made back 48.6 million against a budget of 30 million so it's like a they they made their creditors happy. Um, however, the the critical score, it only got an eighteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, um, but the audience score was 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 much higher at seventy three percent, which tracks. I, I can totally yeah. see. Oh how, yeah, I can totally see how those those leftist coastal elite film critics hate this shit while the heartland loves it you mm-hmm. know? which is exactly the quote I pulled here from Hell yes. an audience <laughs> member. Uh, uh, one of the audience reviews by a guy named Zachary H. Uh, he, we, lo- we love you, Zach. <laughs> we love you, Zach. He writes, um, fun revenge flick that throws a huge middle finger in the face of the Hollywood machine and their globalism bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, he uses that dog whistle um, right, yes. out the, right out the, ga- the gate there. The, e- the evil globalist film <laughs> like film producers. I wonder what he could be referring to Yeah, what to does there. he mean? Jesus. Um, then he continues, self-reliance and self-responsibility. That's just the <laughs> sentence right there. That's it. That's just the sentence. Um, man, Zachary's got a code. A man's got to have a code, right? <laughs> Critics don't like when people think for themselves and when they feel like people are going against their anti-gun agenda. <laughs> oh my god! That's that. W- that was procedurally generated by by some kind of like AI deep thinking thing. They, they, they just... I think it might be honestly because he doesn't have a profile picture. A lot of these guys actually do have profile pictures of Rotten Tomatoes, mm. which is hilarious yep. to me that you would create a profile for Rotten Tomatoes. Um, although, although the not having a profile picture is very much like a chud like thing too, right? Like yeah. just to have like the, the standard, the standard Avi that that's a total like classic chud move. Yeah. So I'm on the fence if this person's real or not. Um, but right. he also liked the film bright, the Netflix Will Smith orc cop movie. 
Hell yes. Um, he liked Avengers <laughs> Endgame. Boo, of course, of course. Of course. But he hated uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs> That's when course, I thought he like, actually was not, like, he, he might be a bot in that moment. When, yeah, when I yeah, saw that he hated that movie so vehemently, I was like, this guy could be a bot. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, but to, to turn to one of these aforementioned globalists, we do have a, a piece here from A.A. A. Dowd of the AV Club. And Dowd writes, There's really no such thing as a good time to remake Death Wish. And not just because it's basically impossible to find a safe, respectful distance from a mass shooting in America. Plenty knew what they were seeing in 74. A deranged fascist fantasy about a middle-aged, quote-unquote, bleeding-heart liberal brought, up, brought around hard to the idea that the world is a cesspool in need of a flushing. Released during a brand new era of anxious white lash, Roth's remake transports the righteous rampage from an almost apocalyptically dangerous pre-cleanup New York to the Chicago that Trump is always dog-whistling about. A hellhole whose streets run red with blood and deep dish pizza sauce. A lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Um, so I included I mean, this this section of the review because I don't agree with his conceit here, where he says plenty of people knew what they were seeing in '74: a deranged okay. fascist fantasy about a middle-aged bleeding-hearted liberal brought to you know these these lengths of violence. Because like again, like I said, my father loved this movie. <laughs> the the very existence of like the the cartoonish death, death wish three disproves that because right. like clearly people were eating this shit up just as like reactionary vision, like reactionary superficial slop. And I don't know. He like, how, how can you know that there are fucking five of these in the original series and, and say that? Right. No, it's absurd. I, I didn't understand why he, he has this like selective memory. I mean, I don't, I don't know how old he is. He probably wasn't around in 74, but it's really just an absurd, just an absurd yeah. uh, line. And then, you know, obviously, I knew he was going to mention Trump. I think most people did in their reviews that I read. Um, and to be fair, with the you know no good timing for a remake of Death Wish, this film was supposed to come out. I think right around the same time the Parkland shooting happened. Right. Um, so it did right. have to be moved, and I understand that. And a lot of films have done that previously. The, uh, the film, uh, I think, it was Gangland, the Ruben Fleischer film, the guy who did um, Zombieland. He or mm-hmm. gangster, I think the film was called. It had a scene where, where there was a shooting in a movie theater, and that came out like it was supposed to come out the same time as the Aurora shooting oh, Jesus, in Colorado. Yeah. So they had to, I think, cut that scene out and then release it later. So, you know, I, I think there's a kernel of truth in that that there probably is no good time to make a film like this. But is there a good time to make literally any film with violence? I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean that that's kind of really like like the first line is is where I first broke with him cuz like if if you're making a film about a sensitive subject if if it's either like high art or low art or what whatever like like there is no appropriate time to do so. Right. Like like that that almost sounds like the conservative line of like how it's an inappropriate time to discuss gun safety or or gun control or wherever right after a shooting, right? It's the flip side of that. It really is. It it it, it is the it is the liberal flip side because like there is never a good time to to create fictional violence if if your metric is oh there's real violence that's happening just like it in the real world because it's always fucking happening in the real world right i mean it's 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 always happening and and not only is it just you know these these mass shootings there's obviously the state sanctioned violence that people like aa yes. dowd don't experience on a daily basis because we don't yes. live in a war zone we just we allow those to happen overseas so i mean basically the the history of of the human experience would be to never make a movie that's violent because there's always been a forever war somewhere in this world but those don't count of course to people like aa dowd 
Right. And I think like the, the most, the most basic response you can say to that is like the best an artist can do or the best a team of artists can do is to be responsible and to make a quality art piece about whatever subject you're trying to tackle. Um, like, and of course it's, it's not like, it's not like death wish is going to be, is going to treat like the, the subject of like white vigilantism, like sensitively or, or well, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not comfortable with the idea of like saying that you can't make these movies. Like they, they shouldn't be made because for whatever societal, I don't know. I, I'm not comfortable with that argument. No, it's, it's an absurd argument, honestly. And I, I don't think he would believe that exact sentiment for films like zero dark 30 or the billions of exactly. war propaganda films or any any cop movie or any though, cop like, movie right exactly so i don't i don't think he even believes that about you know more satirical cop movies like robocop i, I doubt he would think that so yep. it's just overall it's an absurd paragraph um we i do have one other paragraph from this review i think it's the last paragraph um so a dowd continues by most metrics and this is where this like this review went like crazy for me i was like wait what are you saying uh mm. so he says by most metrics this death wish is better mo- is a better movie than the first one <laughs> what? that's okay. a that's a take certainly <laughs> the acting is stronger and it's much more confidently dynamically directed roth sweeps his camera alongside speeding cars and across the towering towers the towering towers jesus christ dowd um, the towering towers, towering towers of the windy city, as though he were auditioning to make a Batman movie. Actually, like that is correct though. Like the first yeah. shot is very like Batman esque. The first shot is it, something directly out of the Dark Knight, which was filmed in Chicago. Yeah, that's right. Um, with with the Gorenson score, it's like dum, 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 yeah. Dum, dum. It, it's it's like it's like the Zimmer score from the Nolan movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, Dowd continues here with uh, there are moments when it almost works as a dopey, brutal B movie. In the tradition of a thousand action distractions about fed up every man stealing their nerves and leaping into danger. A species of lowbrow entertainment the original helped popularize. But whether uncritically brought over in remake translation or genuinely reaffirmed, the movie's fucked up politics poison the fun. By the end, which creates an unmistakable symmetrical arc for Paul, Death Wish has all but evolved into a scare tactics advertisement for the lock and loaded home protection. Which is to say, this is very much a movie that believes that more guns, not less, will make us all safe. With any luck, that's a philosophy that will soon look as outdated as Bronson's facial hair. Yeah, so this was pretty much the consensus of all the reviews I read, which was, um, as he says earlier, and within this paragraph, um, it's it's for a certain type of person, it's dangerous to make at this time, um, it, it's, you know, it's for gun nuts, um, more or less everybody agreed there were i could maybe find like three positive reviews of this film um and one of them was actually armand white of the national review hell yes uh which his review was a fucking mess i couldn't understand what he was trying to say for the most part but he had this amazing line he said each detail critiques chicago's exploitive democratic government how did roth get a filming permit past mayor Rahm Emanuel? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Honestly, th- this movie is made for someone like Rahm Emanuel. Like he, he would, he probably uncritically loves this movie. And like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's that is really interesting because what a critic like A. A. Dowd and the majority of critics do not want to admit is that this kind of, um, you know, tough on crime, you know, maybe perhaps not vigilantism, but. Th- a tough on crime philosophy is a bipartisan issue and has been for a very yes. long time. 
it's particularly in Chicago and particularly of Rahm Emanuel's police department, right. which had, which had literal fucking like black sites right. for people like run by what it, what amounts to state sanctioned vigilantism. Right. Exactly. Which is, which is modern day police policing. Right. So yeah, like God, I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, I, I appreciate Mr. White's sentiment, but I, I could, I could see Rahm Emanuel uncritically loving this movie. Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure. And also I, it's funny that he thinks like Rahm Emanuel just like, has the yes or no on every single movie that gets produced in Chicago. Like there's obviously a film board that does that. Like Ron Manuel doesn't see those scripts, doesn't like read through the script and say, I don't approve of that. (laughs) No, that's not, that's Malia Obama's job. (laughs) Or it was, it it was her internship back when she was um, right. Cause she was an intern for, um, Maybe was it Miramax even Harvey oh, she, Weinstein? She was. I yeah. was just I was just joking. No, Holy no, shit. no. It, one of I think one of oh, the Obamas, man. one of the Obama daughters, was a intern for wow. Miramax. Maybe Harvey Weinstein. One one of you know a, a, a independent Hollywood studio. But um, yeah, Pizza, Pizzagate is Pizzagate is real, Pizzagate folks. Is <laughs> real, folks. <laughs> Jesus, I'm cutting oh. that one out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what do we hate about this movie? Cause there's a lot to hate. Um, the fact that it's Bruce Willis, I don't know. I yes. just like, yeah, he rubs me the wrong b- way. He's super bad in this. Um, again, I, I kind of like his performance in a way that it wasn't intended. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's totally like this closed off emotionally constipated, like very successful boomer guy who like. You know, the, the most emotion he shows is when he's distressed. The most emotion right. he shows is when he's in some kind of pain. Either he's when he's torn up because his wife is killed and his daughter's in a coma, or when he's like so enraged because he's he's beating up the guy who tries to wash his windshield or whatever. Um, but yeah, his, his performance is very flat, very boring, very like stilted and quiet. But like, it's oddly appropriate. Mm, I think it is oddly appropriate, and and a lot of reviews contrasted Bruce Willis with Charles Bronson. Uh, it's obvious, it's inevitable. Charles Bronson was was you know such a, a cultural figure for decades sure. upon decades, and he still is. I mean, people, you you mentioned Death Wish. You're not going to be thinking Bruce Willis. You're going to be thinking you know the 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 character Paul Kersey played by Charles Bronson. Um, or you're going to be thinking of the early Jeff Goldblum appearance where he has the pork right. pie hat. Yeah, he is. The, he's one of the uh, the home invaders in the original uh, in the yes. original film. Wow, I forgot about that. Which and which is interesting about that. We can get into obviously the plot details, but in the original movies, Charles Bronson never kills any of the guys who attack his family. Just like Batman. Just like Batman. Yeah, he did. In, in some in some continuities. Oh my God! Yes. That is, that is <laughs> no, true. but yeah, that 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 it that is a very meaningful distinction, um, which we can get into when we discuss like the climax of this movie. But it, I I, I think that kind of makes or breaks the difference of like th- both films' respective treatment of vigilantism and the problems thereof. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, but if we're still comparing the films, there was really one review I should have at least taking the pull quote, but he was talking about like the Eastern European look of Charles Bronson uh, compared to, you know, uh, some, I don't know what words he used for Bruce Willis, but I was like, now we're doing phrenology in, uh, in Jesus, film criticism. That, cool guys. Oh cool. My God. It, it was that like a, like a lib, like a well-to-do liberal who disapproves this movie. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it was a disapproving article and they were saying how like, it's, yeah, Charles but, but, Bronson has a cool face and Bruce Willis doesn't. <laughs> 
the 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 swarthy squinty-eyed affect of of the mysterious eastern european no literally i mean that's literally what that person wrote um although i do appreciate like the crow's eyes on bruce willis in this movie like i think yeah he 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 looks his age yeah he looks his age um and i think like just like a a a balding like crow-eyed like you know non-emotive uh upper middle class white person like is is the perfect paul kersey yes yes um especially as contrasted with his like much more active brother in this movie vincent d'onofrio yeah like, like they, they they're they're interesting foils to each other mm-hmm. um but but we, we we still have to get we still have to get all the venom out what, what else do we hate oh yeah what else do we hate about this movie um eli Rao is a fucking asshole yeah he's totally an asshole i i mean you know everybody who wrote about this film uh not to continually harp on critics but they do like to point out that like basically every Eli Roth movie is has somewhat reactionary politics, and I, and I get what they mean. Like his last one before Hostel. this, well, of course, Hostel I think has just a reactionary worldview of like you know what Eastern European you know like sex dungeon you know <laughs> of Charles Bronson's grandchildren. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, the Green Inferno, which I think was his film before this one. I think so. Yeah, um, that, that sounds about right. It's basically kind of a remake of Cannibal Holocaust, uh, the you know cannibal film from the seventies, uh, exploitation film. Um, the the main characters are like activist types, you know, um, libtards, lib- yeah, <laughs> social justice yeah. warrior types. I mean, that's how everybody yeah, wrote yeah, about yeah. it. They were like, oh, he's casting these social justice warriors to get eaten by cannibals to show how like if you care about things, you know, you should die or something. I, you know, so but I don't know if I believe that. I also haven't seen the film. I, you know, I can't uh, I can't make a criticism on that. But and like in and, and what's crazy, what, what's wild is like even in that conceit, like like there is a valid and interesting idea, right? Like like the idea of a white um middle class upper middle class um activists being so divorced from the causes that they that they push or or that they stand up for um like like that's a that's a leftist view to some degree right like for sure like um I'm, I'm sure i'm sure mr roth uh didn't have that in mind when he pitched this movie no i, but, I mean um, that nuance isn't there i'm sure you know it's not like uh yeah. what happened uh, was it last year or the year before on like sentinel island when those missionaries went and like one of them was killed by that yeah yeah hell yeah by the but tribe. They, they, they were explicitly missionaries so that was that was kind of more of a right-wing project but but yeah. it's, it's the same it's the same concept like people getting in over their heads and not knowing basically having such like an what amounts to an imperialist mindset that they don't know the the politics and the culture of the of the third world right exactly so but uh, yeah i mean maybe that's in the film i don't know but it's definitely not eli roth's intention but uh, eli roth mm. just seems very stupid i mean i just i, I watched a few interviews <laughs> yeah. and he had like nothing interesting <laughs> to say about any movie that he ever made or any movie that he's ever watched i mean he was talking in one interview mm. i watched about like george uh, Romero's movies and he just said the usual wrote stuff about um, Dawn of the Dead um, where he's yeah. like oh it's about you know consumerism it's like okay cool wow well you you and everybody else yeah. in the fucking world thinks that like he he seems like he I'm, I'm sure again with with every prominent person that we criticize in this podcast like I'm sure he's a decent guy in his personal life and I, I do think he has a talent for like producing his his type of hardcore violent um kind of thriller shock horror that he makes but like 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess he he beats a Nazi to death with a baseball bat in that Quentin Tarantino movie, so that's cool. Yeah, like, yeah. Besides that, actually, it was interesting the uh, interview where he talks about George Romero and some of the other horror directors he's gotten to know. He he also talks about his time filming that uh, movie because he's he is Jewish. Um, his yep. parents uh, grew up, I believe, in Germany. Um, oh wow! And uh, they all saw the movie together in Berlin for the first time. And their and his parents had a very emotional response to seeing Hitler being killed by their son. Um, That's wild. Yeah, because yeah. he, yeah, he's the one that kills he Hitler. He shoots he Hitler like, in the face. Yeah, he's he's the bear the bear Jew, the and bear, he yeah. literally like he disfigures Hitler with a Tommy gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, th- and his that, father that is... wrote a, a piece about uh, that and and his lived experience, and it was called like "My Son Who Killed Hitler." Um, That's fascinating. I want to look that yeah, up. Like, yeah, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll, we'll link to that in the show notes, folks. Um, the show notes that are uh, for for you non patrons and, and our, our patrons as well. <laughs> yes. Um, also, another in, in interesting aspect the the other the other wrinkle to this movie. Um, so the the original that we said it, it was it was released in seventy four, but two years before that, only two years, which is kind of a short, really short time for this, um, is when the book was published. The book that the original was based off of. Um, by author Brian Garfield. And I think this is somewhat well-known, but the original novel was very much anti, anti-vigilantism. anti Right. Um, the the book goes like several several hundred pages. Like like the character, uh, Paul Kersey, he only makes his first kill within like the, the last 50 pages of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he first assaults a criminal... Um, he he's so kind of disgusted and horrified with himself that that he he like throws up and he he can't he can't sleep and like it, like the the beating of a criminal bothers him as much as his wife and daughter's assault does. Yeah, which is interesting because that I think plays out in the movie as well. The 1974 film. Um, okay. Charles Bronson makes like a makeshift blackjack, basically a makeshift truncheon out of a sock with quarters in it and he hits a mugger in the Class- face classic yeah classic um i think that was one of those scenes that my father would tell me about well before i saw the movie well before oh i was like God. you know even old enough to see the movie um this is a deep dive into the the long island mindset here <laughs> it really is i mean most like boomers that i knew growing up loved this fucking movie and like if oh, you sure, mentioned sure. it in front of them they would go on like this this whole long tirade about how like that's what we should be doing we should be <laughs> i mean and to be fair that that very much is in this movie but um yeah the original novel is is like stridently against that perspective and uh, we do have a quote here from from brian garfield himself um on why he wrote the sequel to his original book um the sequel is called death sentence the novel which i wrote years ago as a sort of penance for the movie version of death wish attempts to demonstrate in dramatic form that vigilantism is not a solution. It's a problem and tends to destroy those who attempt it. So far as I know, the new movie pres- the new movie preserves that intention, even though the details of the story have changed a great deal from the book to a mo- movie script. Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Garfield, but like the movie does not preserve that intention. <laughs> That's kind of really depressing in retrospect because... Um, do you yeah, think the, he was talking about the Kevin Bacon death sentence movie? Was he still oh, alive yeah, you know at that time? You know what? Yeah, that 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 is exactly. I, I was misinterpreting that. That that. It, and I remember when I pulled this quote from that from the piece. Um, it it was in the context of the of the Kevin Bacon yeah. version. Mm-hmm. 
which so good. He's yeah, not so a good character. Good he's not Paul Kersey, which is interesting. It is a new character. I think the character's last name is Hume, um, and he's a lawyer or something. I, I, I I've never David, seen it, but I remember David Hume, famous <laughs> philosopher. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a period piece. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's um. I mean, th- that that's kind of like an object lesson in not only the di- the distinction between. A, uh, literature in, in film and in, in how things are received but the 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 trickiness that you can like fall into when you put out especially a piece of popular culture a popular media um that like if you intend for it to have a message it will be ignored much of the time or, or just not even picked up on right much of the time or yeah i mean um at best, everybody understands or a majority of people understand what you're going for. Um, and there's yep. scholarship written about um, your, your movie. And at worst, um, it is uh, loved by uh, chuds uh, the world over. Uh- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and most of the time, it's both those things, honestly. I mean, so. And like, I, I don't want to say that you can't make a a popular, and I hate this phrase, but just, just to use it as shorthand, lowest common denominator movie with a message because you can make those types of movies that have like a good not not reactionary message but um it's very hard and and spectacle so many times just completely overwhelms substance um again which isn't necessarily bad but it it's bad if you let it get away from you yeah and i think it's become harder in like the post 60s american filmmaking kind of when the american yes. new wave started and, and the the laws around um what can and cannot be shown in film were loosened uh, so you know films like death wish come come out of that that loosening of of the hayes code and and the breen office and stuff like that um cuz yeah, obviously you know there's always been lowest common denominator genre films that have um been you know more subjective in in their world view regarding uh, vigilantism um, or, or ultra violence, of course, it just couldn't show as much as we're, we're accustomed to now. Um, but you know, that's the history of the Western film, even you know, um, mm-hmm. just how uh, Native Americans are portrayed in, in Western films, uh, the the uh, the dynamic between um, you know um, homesteaders and and Native Americans, uh, government officials, and all those kind of things. It's it's always been um, a sore point, but you know, it's. Um, it's it is a lot different when like you know you have a guy shooting a giant bazooka and he's as cool as Charles Bronson, <laughs> who is the coolest man alive <laughs> or was was the coolest man alive? Was yeah, R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. Mr. Bronson. He seemed like um, a decent person. Like I don't think he was a reactionary. I, I as far as I know. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, not not to we 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 have to separate the art from the artist anyway. That's that's kind of like the whole point of this episode too. <laughs> but like mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but there's people who like, you know, John Wayne for instance, who it's it's really hard to do that cuz he's such a fucking shithead. Right. Right for sure. Um and I I guess the last my my last bugbear that I have with this with this um movie isn't so much with the movie but about the discourse around the movie that that aforementioned quote from Dowd where he said that there's no good time to remake Death Wish. Um it, it if we t- if we take that that phrase, there's no good time to remake Death Wish, but we we interpret the word remake to mean a more holistic sense of like just take the spirit of a movie but do something new with it. Like like that's what I would consider to be a true remake. Um, that that's just wrong because there. I mean, this is me kind of 
kind of going off on a tangent and getting fantastical with it, but like you could you could do any number of interesting things with the concept of the of the Death Wish franchise. You could have it show class analysis. You could have it show racial tensions or or gen- the the tension between racialized or gendered violence, um, especially as it impacts the idea of reclaiming justice or or seeking justice outside of the police force. Like there's any number of interesting things that you could remake in the spirit of Death Wish. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess if you're just doing a shot to shot, to shot recreation, you can, there is no good time to remake Death Wish. But I don't know. I, I, I disagree with the idea that this this is a inherently flawed or inherently wrong um, concept for a movie. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. There's even, I think it was 2007, 2008, um, Jodie Foster film called uh, a, The Brave yes. One. Um, yes. where she does vigilante violence on people who attacked her very similar to the f- film the accused she was previously in but this was a more you know upbeat vigilante film as, as opposed to that more gritty film um mm-hmm. so yeah i mean it, it's it's just why just wipe it all away when you know you can have a dialectic like we do exactly folks um that's that's our political term for this episode <laughs> this this ongoing conversation that we're trying to have and um around and about movies yeah the cinematic di- cinematic dialectic yep for but sure that doesn't re- that doesn't really rhyme that's uh, i was trying to go for like a, a slant rhyme there or something i don't know mm, it's okay um before we get into the meat of the things i do want to just um talk about this um about film critic Vincent Canby, who hated the original film, but um, he died well before this new one came out. So I, I would be interested to see um, if we can resurrect him, what he would think. Uh, but like he wrote numerous articles about how he fucking hated the original Death Wish film. Yeah, I think he wrote at least two to three. Um, he was a critic for the New York Times. And I, I think we've used um, some of his quotes uh, on the podcast. He, he was a really um, interesting and smart film critic. Um, he really loved the 1993 film Falling Down, directed by Joel Schumacher, starring Michael Douglas as a, a another kind of, you know, middle-class white guy. Oh, vigilante. God, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, he loved that, but hated Death Wish. Yeah, loved that, but hated Death Wish. But I think this is a pull quote from his Falling Down review that I think is really relevant here. He said, The most interesting, all-out, commercial American film of the year to date. And one that will function much like a Rorschach test to expose the secrets of those who watch it. I thought that was a really interesting quote. And I think it gets to what we're talking about here. Yeah, okay. Because, again, Falling Down is one of those other movies that kind of similar to Death Wish. Like, I've never actually seen either of those. but the I've never the seen cultu- Falling Down, yeah. The cultural cachet that both of those have. Like, like I, I know the, the plot, the skeletons of the plot structure. And I, I, I'm kind of aware of what the film was trying to say and, like, how it was received and everything. Right. Um, for both of them and yeah that's that actually makes me want to see it that quote because that um my my interpretation of falling down was that it was basically the neoliberal version of death wish i think it is like it, it's reality <laughs> and yeah and it, it, it's fascinating that like you you could say that rorschach tests quote about falling down but not death wish right i don't, I don't know if, i don't know how that tracks right i you know i i don't know if like in later years he he maybe recanted or at least reevaluated um his his previous views on death wish maybe pr- privately i doubt he did you know in, yeah. in the new york times but although I, I could see how like the falling down narrative like this idea of like oh society is so fucked up and like i'm just a i can see through all the bullshit i'm, I'm just a cynic and blah, blah 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 like like that pretension 
is what the Rorschach test test is. And if you can if you can see that pretension for what it is in the movie, you can appreciate the movie more. I guess in, in kind of in a backwards way, like we like we do this movie. Whereas Death Wish didn't have that pretension. It's just very much what you see is what you get. Maybe like that's his point. Maybe that, maybe that that's the, the the distinction for him between the two. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I, I don't know. I, again, he's dead. We can't ask him. But <laughs> <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. Um. So let's actually talk about this movie. <laughs> another person that's dead was the cop from the opening of Death Wish 2018. <laughs> the first cop we see on screen. Yeah, he does die, folks. Well, there's two cops. One who's very sweaty, and he's driving the car to get his his partner to a hospital. Who's very bloody. Who's very bloody and dead. Um, it, DOA, more or less. I mean, I don't even think they they don't even cut into him. Like he just dies on the table. Well, no, they 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 make the point that um the cop who lives he's like oh i was like i was just a few minutes too slow it's so like he was dying on the way yeah yeah because we see him kind of heavily breathing the, the bloody yeah, yeah. dead he, cop he, um yep dying cop yeah dying cop number one or only i don't he's think the, there's any other dying cops unfortunately yeah he, he's the only cop that dies in this movie um but yeah so we're introduced to paul kersey who is um obviously the main character bruce willis he's a surgeon which is actually really, I, I kind of like that setup. Um, it's kind of like a daredevil vibe. Like in his day job, he's this this very highly educated professional dedicated to saving people. Um, but at night, he's a vigilante who kills people. Like it, it, it's a very obvious kind of kind of parallel symbolism there. But um, to the best of my knowledge, besides like Doctor Strange, there are no superheroes who are surgeons. In Doctor Strange's surgeon skills don't really play into like his exploits as a superhero, so that would be kind of a cool setup to see. And, and I kind of liked what they did it, what they did with it in this movie. Yeah. So in summation, Bruce Willis is a man of contrasts. <laughs> in summation, Bruce Willis lives in a society. <laughs> <laughs> For twenty sixty nine, folks. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I thought that was interesting. So it's a change from the original where uh, Charles Bronson, uh, Paul Kersey was an architect. Um, just another classic bougie profession. Right, a uh, classic bougie profession. Although is a little different in his uh, backstory and where the bleeding heart liberal thing gets to is he was a conscientious objector in the Korean War. That's fascinating. Yeah, because I didn't I didn't know that angle. Yeah, and I think like I don't know if his father died in uh, some kind of gun uh, related. Uh, accident or, or crime but um his mother he tells this story you don't see any of the stuff in the original movie but his, he tells a story sure. to one of his ar- architectural clients that like his mother told him to never touch guns because they killed his father basically damn that's like the john wayne song um don't take your con you not the john the john wayne song. that's like that's <laughs> like the, um, Jesus. the the song don't don't take your guns to town yeah the johnny cash song yeah the yeah, better yeah. of the old people named john the the better by far, by far in a way yeah <laughs> like infinitely better not even a competition um, but yeah so that's interesting like bruce willis um his paul has like no combat or military experience whatsoever no. like he he they they mentioned that he he used to like he was a bruiser as a kid like he used to yes. get into fights mm-hmm. but um and that's i think one of the only interesting things is that yeah they call him a bruiser or a scrapper his brother um frank kersey played by vincent d'onofrio um at, at the dinner table with his family they discuss um how he used to fight and you're like oh he used to fight with neighborhood kids no he used to fight his abusive father 
that was the only really character beat that this guy has ever given. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they, they make some mention of how, like, oh, I used to ride the train just to avoid my, my father, and I would do all my homework on the train, and I just wouldn't go home. I would just ride the train. But, like, that, that's it. It's just, like... The, the only relevance that has is when he's when he's sad after his family gets killed and he's there's like a montage of him right in the high line. I do think it's interesting the the scene in which we learn um, this this fact about you know Bruce Willis and Vincent Giannofrio's past um, comes up in the first maybe ten minutes of the film um, after the uh, opening of the dead cop we go to the Chicago suburbs of I think. Evanston at one point she says um his daughter Jordan sure, yeah. says when she's on yeah. the, uh, the phone with 911 I think Evanston is where they live um mm-hmm. they're at a soccer field his uh daughter Jordan and his wife Lucy are um there his daughter's playing soccer there's like this one really loud and obnoxious father on the sidelines with them while um Paul Kersey and his wife Lucy are talking about, you know, their daughter going off to college. There's this guy in the background who's just like yelling, like, that's a foul. What the fuck, ref? That's a foul. Yeah. Uh it's it's like the I think the third Sopranos episode where where they're watching AJ play or they're watching Meadow play yes. soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Always comes back yeah, to the Sopranos. Just, I mean that's one of those kind of stock characters but that definitely exists in real life like the overzealous like like sports parents yeah oh for sure and it's interesting here because i think it underlines the the thrust of this film like this white suburban upper middle class angst that runs throughout this film um yes because this obnoxious father gets in a, a shouting match or, you know, a slight altercation with Bruce Willis where he's like, what did you say? And Bruce Willis is like, you should shut the fuck up. Yes. I mean, and I mean, that's kind of like in real life how it is too. like, like sports in vicarious living through your, like your, your, the, the athleticism of your child is like this proxy for displaced, like resentment and, and masculine kind of like stewing angst that has nowhere to go. Yeah, for sure. So I think what could be just, you know, a, a silly little scene, I think there's a lot of meaning to get from that. Um, yeah, and then sure. the restaurant scene where, you know, Vincent um, D'Onofrio goes into their family trauma, their abusive father. Um, that's a really interesting scene, too, because, like, they're discussing this altercation that happened on the soccer field. And Vincent D'Onofrio is like, oh, you would have taken him back in the day. Like, oh, you didn't do it now. So he's kind of emasculating him in front of his family. Um, although the, the, the Frank and Paul Kersey like relationship is a really interesting, uh, brother, uh, relationship in film. Um, we can talk about that a little later, but, um, it was well done. Like I actually like did feel like, ah, these guys are brothers. Like they have a shared yeah. history. Um, yeah. it, like there was a lot of really good beats and I think it's mostly cause Vincent D'Onofrio is a fantastic actor. Um, he, he's kind of insufferable on Twitter. No offense, <laughs> no offense, no offense Vincent. <laughs> That's true. Like maybe log off for like a week or something, dude. Uh, but yeah, no, they they have a good dynamic. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio is very much the the fail child of this episode, oh, yeah. of this movie. By far, He's, he he had a promising childhood. Um, they kind of allude to the fact that he he was going to be a major league baseball player, mm-hmm. or like he he at least had promise as as a, as a prospect. Um, but then something happened. He like he either fell on hard times or he he lost the ability or whatever. So he's kind of a washout now. Um, and he's a union employee, so hell yeah, go go Frank. Um, oh yeah. And one one of the one of the tensions between the two brother characters is 
Paul loans money to Frank. Yeah, a few times, in, or at least in, once in the restaurant scene. Actually, yeah, in the restaurant scene. Yeah, after. Yeah, he's like, he's like, yeah. he's like, I'll, I'll give you a thousand. Like, and he's, he's like, I'll give you two thousand. He's like, no, no, just a thousand. He's like, oh, please, please, take it, take it. Um, and then later on, it's like a point of again that kind of put upon suburban masculine pride that that Frank makes a point of paying him back, like at at a crucial plot point too later mm-hmm. on. Right. Um, and then Bruce Willis doesn't want to take the money either. He doesn't. Yeah. It, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, oh God, it's that, and I'm sure everyone listening to this episode knows what I'm talking about, but it's that insufferable, like very much middle class, like back and forth. Like, it, it, yep. like it's this like oh, ritual yeah. that you have to do. Like, oh, let me pay, please, please. No, 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 no. I got it. I got it. Like, no, no, no. Just fucking split the bill. Like, it, yeah. it's money. Like, yeah. and if someone, and if someone really wants to buy you something, just let them. Like, it's you're right. not going to like offend them. Right. It's, yeah. And if it's family, just like give them money. I don't know. Without like yeah, no strings like, attached, just like give your family money. If I was in a position to give my brother a thousand dollars and he needed, like, I fuck, like, I don't want it back. Right? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's God. ridiculous. And like, but again, that's a, that's I'm, another, you know, the white middle class. Uh, that's the milieu. Like, that's definitely what um, would happen. Whereas, like, if you think of like immigrant communities that like send money back to their family like uh, i you know i can't speak for them yes. but do you think like they're all like oh I'm, I'm tallying as much money as i give <laughs> you and i can't wait for you to come to america so you could pay it all back like i don't think that's how it works and i mean to be fair especially with poorer families like m- money is, is is quite literally life or death so like I'm, I'm not trying to like make light of that but but if, if if you're in a position to be able to do that for your family like you, you don't have to do this performative like ritual of like refusing to pay or, or refusing to let them pay, but then eventually giving in after they push you in. It's, it's just, it, it's all, it, it's fetishization of money in like the classic term meaning of the term fetishization. Yeah. So this film does that really well. And it's, it's these small beats that you could totally miss. Like if you are watching this film, you're watching for the moment Bruce Willis breaks, you're watching for the moment he goes on a shooting rampage, you know, the descent into madness. But like, these are all parts of, of that descent into madness, which is really yes. interesting, and I probably unintentional, but fuck it, like that's why we're here. <laughs> if if anything, that makes it more valid that it's unintentional because it, it it is such an unquestioned and natural part of the screenwriter in in screen treatment people's worldview, right? Right. Like they they just take it as as a given. So of, of oh of course Bruce Willis is going to be like proud, but but heartbroken that his daughter is going off to college across the country. And 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 yeah, there that's emotionally resonant for the character, but like the the screenwriters don't really interrogate why. But part of the reason is he's afraid of his daughter living living off on her own in in a, in a city full of criminals, which is like validated at the end of the movie. Oh yeah, for sure, and we can get into that. Yeah, when we get yeah. there. Um, yeah. So from here, oh my god, and. Just from here, like the speaking of swarthy, yeah. Criminals, oh my right? god, yes, <laughs> yeah. MJ, that's his name, right? He MJ, has the tattoo yeah. of his initials on his arm. Well, no, oh, okay. You know what? I I missed that bit. Like why why they said his tattoo said MJ because I thought it was a reference to Michael, uh, not Michael Jordan, right? Yeah, like, and that's what Bruce I think, Willis yeah, is a Michael Jordan. Yeah, fan. I think even Bruce Willis, I think he says that too in that scene. He's like, "Oh, are you Michael Jordan fan?" And then he's like, "No, that's my name, Miguel something." Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man, that's yeah. So the, the, this is the the class dynamics of this sequence are insane because MJ, who's the valet at this very fancy rest like brunch restaurant, yeah. where the Kersey family had been having like Sunday brunch or whatever, he pulls up 
no first of all he he overhears paul's wife and daughter talking about when they're going to be gone from their house yeah going out to and, dinner and he, again like next wednesday yeah like, like like later in the week he he so he knows their schedule when no one's going to be home he picks up the cursey car he when he starts the car he notices in the inbuilt gps yep. screen yep. he finds on the dashboard address yep finds their home address he takes a picture of it on his phone and he texts that address with the time to like the mob boss or whatever that he works for yeah that that the economic anxiety of that scene is insane because yep. like the very fact that the Curseys have an SUV with like one of those built-in touchscreens and the fact that you're afraid that your valet will snoop right. through it. But why would and, you put and, your and, fucking home address on there too? Like that's also fucking stupid. I like, well, what, what's, what's interesting with a lot of those um, app like GPS apps, they, they, they do passive tracking. So like, of course, like they see that you go home all the time. So they, they designate that address as home. Oh, cause, shit. cause like w- with these apps, they, they notice or, or they, they, they track what time right. you go to this, uh, these addresses. And, of course, that means home. That means home because you're coming back at 5 o'clock or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this GPS Fuck. is physically located at this address during the nighttime anyway. Yeah. So, like, the, the idea that, like, the the service economy peon is going to overhear your plans. And, of course, he's a criminal. So, of right. course, he's going to snoop through your GPS. Right. That 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 is like white flight personified. It really is. Yeah. Although I did read in the trivia on I think it was IMDb or maybe an AMA that uh, Eli Roth did that he talked to a lot of cops and he said that the, this like this dynamic plays out a lot. But I again, if you get that information from cops, I don't believe it. Like that valets are going <laughs> to yeah. steal your shit or like try and rob you. Like I just I don't think it's real. It's absurd. It is it's like something you'd get in a chain email from like your uncle. Like that's what this is. Yes. And and as with all of the criminal activity that's portrayed in this movie, I don't doubt that all this shit happens like at some point. And I, I don't doubt this what happens he, often. This is absurd, but <laughs> it's 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 a it's a it's a matter of like a how how often does this specific scenario happen? B do we care that yeah, it happens right. to like the the rich people right. who who can afford a fucking valet yeah. and like uh, and the majority of home break-ins are non-violent as well like you just steal like the things that were stolen in in this home break-in like watches some money and some dumb shit like no one right and, and to be fair like I, I i have had family members and i know people whose homes have been broken into so like I, I'm, we're not like brushing it off but um it's it's i'm brushing it off how, of the rich people who cares <laughs> I'm, I'm pushing up if, if if it's surgeons who can afford like the kind of life the curfew the curses has eh, yeah yeah it's fine but um yeah especially if no one's killed like there in this movie but yeah. well i mean yeah but people are killed in this movie though yeah that's bad yeah but, it um, sucks you know yeah so so like jumping ahead um the curses on, on that fateful night um of course bruce willis gets called away he has to go to work work yeah. because one of his one of his surgeons is sick yeah, the guy um, so who was, told- uh, was supposed to cover for him, um, right? He was, was I'm sure he was on call, and then he had to, yeah. So he had to cover for him. Yeah, so he goes to work, and of course, um, the the wife and daughter they they go out to the opera or whatever the fuck it is, and they no 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 they were just gonna, supposed to go out to a restaurant they liked, um, and they were gonna get like tres leches cake that they loved at this restaurant. So instead, they go to the supermarket to buy right. ingredients to make the cake. Because it's, it'd right. be special. It's great. Although his daughter Jordan's like, but we have to clean the kitchen afterwards. But she never cooked a day in her life, probably. 
Um, she's a bird. She's she's a burgeoning failed child. She she was going to be a failed child because she like she's smart and she's going to like NYU or something. Yeah, she was going like, to she NYU. Hates, yep. She hates she hates doing shit. So she's clearly established as like very intelligent, but like inherently flawed. Like like we failed children are ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting, and I, I don't really know the like the larger significance of this, but like I, I took stock in it when we were watching the film, and I was like, so they're gonna make a tres leches cake. They have a cookbook that they're going to use and in the cookbook it's called three milk cake so like it's, it doesn't use the spanish it uses the english interesting and so that oh so it's the whitewashed yeah, version it's the of whitewashed the version like holy shit yeah. jesus yeah so i don't know i thought that was kind so of interesting the, Cur- the cursey family are cultural imperialists and they deserve what's coming to them <laughs> <laughs> and what's coming to them is it's a trio of home of home robbers um they have really cool masks. They're like, they're really fucking creepy. They have like, they have Charles Bronson mustaches in the masks actually. Do they? I think, yeah, um, I think you're right. Some of them, cause they're basically like faces like stretched out. Yeah. It's like, it's like latex skin. Um, like, like very form fitting masks, but like they distort the features in a really creepy way. Yeah. Um, and they have a printing yeah, of like another face on top of right. them. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, and so, yeah, they're trying to steal the valuables cause they're informant told them like oh these people are rich and they they come in and they, th- they throw money around every weekend or whatever right um and in the course of the home invasion um paul's wife gets shot and killed um his daughter gets shot but she survives albeit in a coma mm-hmm. right yeah and a bunch of stuff was stolen like his class ring and her jordan's yeah, passport a bunch of, a bunch of- and money out of a safe right right per- personally identifying stuff are, are stolen um and of course, when Paul finds this is actually a really kind of interesting scene. When Paul's doing surgery, he hears over the intercom like, "Woman, forty-eight years old, dead. Woman, seventeen-year-olds, coma." And he, like he slowly realizes, like, "Oh shit, that's right. Those ages is that's my wife and child." It's yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, um, and so the realization of that, and then he he leaves surgery and he runs out and he finds them and. Mm-hmm. He he doesn't really have much of a reaction to his wife being dead, which yeah. I thought was funny. <laughs> he just his just shitty like the Bruce Bruce Willis shitty acting. He he just he's he like looks sad, but he doesn't even cry. No, I don't know. yeah. I mean, I guess that would be somewhat consistent with like being a surgeon, right? Like you see people die every day. Of course, it would be different if it's sure. like you know your wife. I'd imagine, but he's conditioned for that at least. I guess. Yeah, and it it does play into like my my read that he's like a, an emotionally closed off um, guy who oh yeah who like for sure doesn't doesn't process his emotions in a healthy way. So yeah, I, I can see how that, mm-hmm. how that would yeah. kind of track. And it's also just like an understated like scene. It's very it's shot very understated. Even even the like yeah. the home invasion scene is shot very understated. Like we don't see them actually shoot them like the so the daughter jordan gets a knife at one point and and slashes one guy in the face and then he takes his mask off and they're like what the fuck dude now they saw your face and then um elizabeth shoe uh lucy the wife she uh the boiling water she had on the the range top she throws that in the same guy's face um but he's not the one who shoots them though right it's the other guy no, it's Knox. Knox the shoots them. Shoots yeah, he's them. like, "Oh, fuck yeah. this!" And then he shoots them. But you don't see the shots. Like you just go to an establishing shot of the house at night, and you see the gun muzzle flare twice right. in a, a window. Yeah. Um, the the violence 
predicated upon or the the, the the violence against innocent people in this movie is very understated yep. um as opposed to the violence inflicted upon the criminals yeah yeah um mm-hmm. which 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 is kind of i mean it definitely plays well with this movie's reactionary politics but like it's a shame i, I wish they i mean it's a shame you know, they didn't show that violence i wish they showed more violence against women in this movie but like Th- that's an instance of like why this movie tries to have it safe and have it both ways right because like oh the 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 criminals these animals yeah of course they have to be put down like animals but but even if the regrettable things happen to like the the innocent people the innocent wife and ch- the child at home like we'll, we'll just keep it off screen we'll, we'll just know that it happens we don't have to like show the consequences of it yeah there's uh there's a lot to a lot going on there um so paul brings his wife's um body home to texas i believe is where she's was from it texas um, I, I didn't know i know it, i don't think it was maybe it was just like rural illinois no it, it it is texas because um they make that they mentioned that earlier in the, in the soccer scene he's like oh like how he, there's a throwaway line like oh like did you ever think you'd leave texas or whatever oh okay there gotcha. there's a there's a brief allusion to texas gotcha. and um and the the first right wing um uh dog whistling char- characters yeah. here because oh my god um lucy's father is very clearly molded off of dick cheney oh, yeah. <laughs> that's how i read it 100 percent. he looks like this, him uh this yeah old, he, he sounds he like sounds him like he's him. like this he whips out a shotgun and tries to shoot poachers yep. on his property yep. on his property or, or someone's, property. someone's property it would be funny even know if it's, it's not even his no property. it's not it's <laughs> someone else's property and like he just he's like they're just driving in his his suv or his truck i don't i don't remember what it was um and then oh it's a pick it's got i think it's a pickup truck yeah and he just like he's mid-sentence just like immediately stops the car like a screeching halt and he gets he then he goes off-road with it gets out and you see like these three guys running away and he just gets this fucking rifle and starts shooting at them even before that like when he's talking to bruce willis he just stops as you as you said but then he gets out of his truck and like he he looks off in the distance and he's squinting because like i don't know if he has like cataracts or whatever but he's like looking in the distance right for like a beat and he gets back in right. he's like, come on right yeah yeah, yeah. Off road. It's, it's so absurd like, yeah i just wish his, he would have shot out of the the suv or pickup truck window just like yeah, dick cheney yeah. that would have oh been even God. better like <laughs> like his, his criminal sense went off and he just like <laughs> i don't know but yeah he, he it, it, and it's such like red meat like fodder too he's like like you, you can't rely on the police to protect you like a man's gotta a man's gotta act when like the when the world forces him to act or whatever it's just it's just such trite bullshit yeah and there's like uh, a deer that the the poachers were poaching and it's like half yeah. dead and he has to you know do a mercy killing and shoot it in the head and that actually um is kind of that kind of interestingly mirror uh, it sets up a mirror scene later on with with paul and one of the criminals that he kills um, oh yeah that's right the, yeah, yeah. The, the, there was a little instance of that. It was kind of neat. Um, but yeah, Paul flies home, and then he gets radicalized, red pilled by yes. YouTube oh videos that he God. watches. Incredible! <laughs> I couldn't um, believe it the, when it started happening. I was, uh, I was very happy actually. Like it just, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's, uh, and this is like the one of the biggest examples of completely unintentional. Oh my complete, God! Yeah, but completely valid and very real um, political statements that this movie makes. Mm-hmm. Because the the most the most prominent one that he watches is like this attractive, conventionally attractive like blonde young woman yep. selling guns like yep. hawking guns and like going to a ra- a shooting range and shooting, and like when she shoots the target like these little things come up on the screen like headshot body shot, and like 
she's literally the gun girl. She's yeah. literally like Caitlin, she, she Caitlin, Caitlin Bennett. Bennett. Like, yep. 100%. I didn't think of that. You said it to me and I was like, holy fucking shit. Because she's like, come on down to the gun store. And Paul does go down a few scenes later. And he tries to buy a gun from her. And she's wearing like this push-up bra. And like it's like visible yeah. through her shirt. Mm-hmm. It, it, it. It, it's mind-blowing because like it's so obvious and I, I was almost waiting for like okay like what's the catch here like in in, in the terms of the, like the dynamics of the scene yeah. right like 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 it, it, are they gonna like date is like i Bruce was, Wilson, I was like, wondering this woman too. gonna like yeah. hook up mm-hmm. like because that's that's a function of the death wish the earlier death wish movies with with charles bronson like he falls in love with like random women he does right? yeah throughout uh the second third i'm not sure about the fourth and fifth because he's a thousand years old by then but definitely the second and third yeah and like it it it's just such a nakedly obvious depiction of like how gun girl Caitlin Bennett like operates like playing on the horniness of like yeah cl- like like scared reactionary boomers right but mm-hmm. like and and like it was playing out in real time but no it, there, there's no subtext to it like that just it she's just the YouTuber who owns a gun shop that he happens to go to. Yeah, no, and it's really nothing happens there. I, I was expecting a lot more because I saw in the trailer there. Yeah, there she appears in the trailer and I thought like, oh, yeah, is she right. going to be like super into him? Because like she figures out he's this character called the Grim Reaper because when he starts killing people, yes. he gets this moniker, the Grim Reaper. Yep. And like I was like, oh, is she like, does she say maybe something like, oh, I'm really into like what this guy is doing. He's doing the Lord's right. work or something. But like, yeah, n- right. nothing comes of it. I imagine it could be on the cutting room floor. Yeah, that that really that really seems like something that was because um, she only shows she only shows up twice. It's when he gets radicalized and tries to buy a gun from her, and then later on at the end when he does buy yeah. guns from her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they really go nowhere with that. But it, again, it, it's just a fascinating depiction because like this is what happens to reactionary boomers when they want to buy a gun like this is how it happens yeah yeah um he, he also he also learns how to destroy hard drives oh my god that was my favorite scene in this whole movie yeah so he, good he, this happens after he um he finds his stolen property at a bar with a hidden um pawn shop in the back yeah. he he has a shootout and everything and whatever he kills he kills the people and one of them was the, one of the people that broke into his yeah, home fish has his name fish yeah. yeah and he recovers all of his property but also he steals the hard drive that are hooked up to fish's security cameras and then he goes on youtube and this youtuber is like if you want to destroy like a hard drive like this is how you do it and he puts a giant yeah, drill through drills the hard it drive. in four places like four specific spots and he's like this would make it much harder to you know, get any of the data <laughs> off of this and then he's and then he's like cia nsa fbi i want to make a statement that this movie was made that this video was made strictly for entertainment yeah. purposes only <laughs> <laughs> no like i i honestly was like this is a video that exists and that boomers yes. watch all the time like this yep. is that was yeah that really got me that and and just like the delivery the guy in the youtube video had was really good yeah, yeah like yeah. it was just like it was a really well done scene again like the intentions that you know they had no idea what they were doing with that scene but it's it's well done like social media is a weirdly prominent motif yeah. throughout this movie mm-hmm. like the the, fir- the first shooting the first vigilante shooting that paul does is captured by a bar yeah, patron, bar patron. On, her, mm-hmm. on her phone yep um, the whole thing of like 
of watching the YouTube videos and getting deliberate step-by-step instructions um, in radicalizing Paul is, is a very prominent thing. And the other very prominent motif is um, security cameras and security camera footage. Because like, like in that bar scene we were talking about, um, Paul has to steal the hard drive. And, and in the shootout in that bar scene, he uses um, the security display yep. to his advantage mm-hmm. tactically so that he knows where the person's hiding so he can shoot him. Uh, and there's another scene where his daughter Jordan is in a coma, and when he first goes to see her after she's stabilized, like there's it's it's weirdly it's weirdly blocked because in the foreground we see the security camera footage of Bruce Willis in the background of the same scene going up to see her. Right. And it's like it, it's like a very weird double image, and yeah, the 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 dual motif of like security camera footage as like this kind of really old fashioned means of of like home media and media that anyone can use and, 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 and manipulate and, and use for, for whatever, like security reasons versus, um, social media, which is like the, of course the new contemporary version of that type, type of footage. Um, again, like Eli Roth did not intend this, no, but it sets no up, an, yeah. it sets up an interesting dynamic and tension between, um, old worlds, um, video footage versus new world video footage. Yeah, definitely. And there's, you know, of course, with the new world video footage, he becomes a viral sensation. As I said, he, he gets the moniker, yes. um, the Grim Reaper. So um, not only through internet viral fame, but there's the um, very popular uh, radio personality Sway from Sway in the Morning and yep, um, yep. Chicago-based and another Chicago-based guy who I was not aware of called Man Cow, who is a shock jock. <laughs> Um, which is the most appropriate yeah. name ever in the history of the world. Because this this guy, he he literally sounds like the low-rent Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's what he's going for. I mean, I'm sure he started after Rush Limbaugh kind of reinvigorated the, you know, the, the radio shock right. jock uh, type uh, personality. Um, yeah. But yeah, so obviously the new world footage is this 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 viral footage, um, and it's interesting though because like old you know school like security camera footage that stuff used to be I mean not exactly viral but like that's what you used to see in like those compilation shows on like A and E or History Channel yeah. like about like yeah. crazy crimes and shit like that you know it used to be old security footage that you would you would find that kind of crazy shit on. Well, that's my point, right? Yeah. Like bo- both both types of footage are used to radicalize people and to right. push reactionary exactly. agendas, specifically specifically in the context of recorded crime footage. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind of all it's really good for, right? Yeah. Like, like you, like security cameras, like in very rare instances, I, I think like I'm sure there's some statistic out there, but like most security camera footage is used to prosecute criminals after the fact. It's not used to alert like a guy who's just oh yeah almost never i mean it's it's mostly for determent um because if you know you're being watched you might not do it um or at least that's the philosophy behind it and then yeah most of the time you're not caught in the act you're caught well after the fact yeah and and security camera footage is used to prosecute or used as like first-hand evidence or whatever right um but yeah just again eli roth was not thinking of this but it it is an interesting um parallel certainly The, the 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 three tracks of old world security cam footage kind of old but still contemporary um talk radio footage and then the completely new aspects ubiquitous aspect of um of smartphone footage right right but as you were saying i think they all um together are 
about radicalization, about propaganda, yes. and and how yes. how that is conveyed to a larger audience, um, just like how this film it could be propaganda and how and what it conveys to a larger audience. Um, could be meta. Whoa, is it, just like just like our fucking podcast. <laughs> Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, so the the plot kind of continues apace, like. We didn't talk about actually before any of the shootings happen, um, like even before he starts getting radicalized, I, I would say one of the inciting incidents is when we meet the character of Detective Kevin Rains and, and right. his partner, um, Lenore Jackson, um, you know, right. this uh, uh, biracial, uh, you know, uh, team of, of detectives. When- one thing this movie is very careful to do is to depict all groups of people as as multiracially as yep. possible. Oh yeah. Uh, the police, uh, the detectives, the the gangbangers, yep. the the talk shock uh, radio people, the YouTube people yep. are all the the doctors, the staff at the hospital. They're all um, very quite deliberately um, and quite obviously multiracial. Yep. And uh, to bring it all back to our boy Roger Ebert, that's something that he realized with the third Death Wish film. Because the third Death Wish film is a multiracial gang. And he was talking about how that um, is kind of to elide the more reactionary politics in it. Because it's like, well, see, we're not only killing POC. The main character, the main gangbanger, right. Manny, is white. See, it's okay. And... And the only cop who dies in this movie, the cop who dies, he's he's a black cop. Yep, yep, that's right. Um, and, and that that is very that was very oh very intentional. Focus group intentional. Yep. Oh, like, for sure. Like oh, like oh, the the only color that matters is blue, right? Like uh, like yep, yeah, yeah. No, and I think even having the shock jocks. So there's obviously Sway, who is um, pretty much anti Grim Reaper, uh, Man Cow yep. is pro Grim Reaper, but then also some of the other people on Sway's. Uh, you know, um, broadcast are program Reaper and they're, and they're black. To, to the best of my knowledge, all of them were black women yeah. that are pro Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. Cause they're like, Oh, he, he's put, he's just killing the, the drug pushers who are pushing drugs in their yep. neighborhoods. Yep. Like, Oh, he can't, this movie isn't racist. Like see even the, even the black people like the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Even when his first kill, when he stops the uh, carjacking, the the car is being stolen from a black woman who then in the ambulance right. she says to the cops like oh yeah it was so great what this hero did for us he saved my life he was like a guardian yes, angel yes that's right that, that, that's yeah. how that's how he gets the name guardian angel guardian angel he's not a, he's a he's grim a reaper <laughs> Um, but so his, his, yeah detective rains played by dean norris in uh, a few different scenes you know he just he goes over the case with paul kersey and he says all right we'll get back to you when we have more information and weeks go by and you know obviously no one's being prosecuted um, but there's a scene in detective rains office so paul kersey goes down to the precinct and what's interesting there's there's a lot of racial dynamics in this scene like not it's oh just like God, insane yes. the racial dynamics in the scene but there's a really small yep. one in the beginning when you know paul kersey goes up to the man at the desk in the precinct and he's behind you know this this screen um a metal grate because obviously you know like they think oh this is a a, a precinct like people are going to try and attack the you know the the, the receptionist basically um and mm-hmm. in the lobby is is mostly people of color just like waiting yep. there and you can imagine they've been waiting for hours and hours they had their name on the list i want to talk to this detective but they're going to wait there forever but the minute paul kersey bruce willis gets in there um detective rains sees him and says oh let him right. in bill like you know buzz him in. immediately, immediately. Yep. like the the well-to-do the well-to-do surgeon white surgeon um 
blows past the whole line. He just goes right in. Yeah. Um, and actually, what's really interesting in that scene, right before that scene, is a scene with Bruce Willis and his his psychologist. Yeah, or yeah. his his his, ther- mm-hmm. his therapist, and she says they 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 talk about like how he feels like depressed and how he doesn't do much, and she says it's a process. It takes time. Yeah. Or it, it, no, no. The, her specific wording was like it will take a lot of time. Yep. And then literally jumps to that scene in the in the police office and the receptionist says to the guy in front of the line at Bruce Willis it will take some time that's right holy shit yeah which is crazy yeah. yeah it's crazy and um and yeah and then you had mentioned this i i didn't pick up on this but um when he, when Bruce Willis does go to the front of the line and goes to talk to Dean Norris he looks on the wall and um he sees his wife's name on like this gigantic um uh Corkboard yeah, of like, cold cases. They're all cold cases. Yeah, cold case of cold cases. And he knows his wife's name. And he's like, "Oh, like, what? What about the rest of these?" And he knows is like, "Oh, oh, most of these are just assholes. You know, they're they're gang members who shoot each other." Yeah, he says, know, "Asshole on asshole violence is the phrase and, he and, uses." And, and he says, "Like, you know, one of them will call out the other one on social media, yes. and then that one will respond with an AR-15." Yeah, yeah. Like, Jesus. Yeah. Like, and then he's like, oh, and then you go to the neighborhood and no one will talk about it. They won't give you any information yeah. to the police. Jesus. Yeah. It's, I love the idea, like, the, like in the fevered boomer imagination of this movie, like, if someone calls out someone else on Facebook, <laughs> they're going to respond with an AR-15. <laughs> like, if that was true, we would all be We'd fucking all dead be at this dead. point. Everybody on Twitter dead. would be dead. We would, all, we would all be long dead. <laughs> Oh but yeah, but I think you know just the image alone of this cork board with co- cold cases, and the fact that, as yep. he said, these cold cases are mostly asshole on asshole violence. What he means is, you know, black yep. gang crime, black on black crime. You know, the the, the usual uh, you know dog whistle for the, for the people uh, who watch Fox News. And Bruce Willis in this moment sees his wife Lucy's name in this list yep. of other people, this very lily white name in this list of, you know, brown people basically. And, he, yep. and I think in, and this is the pathology that I have that is kind of, you know, throughout this film is that, um, you know, if you live in an upper class suburban life in, you know, suburban Chicago, you're, you're not going to have, you know, um, uh, really much dealings with the criminal justice system. You're not going to have, you know, the the violence of everyday life that people in poorer communities experience. So Bruce Willis sees this. He hears it takes, it's going to take time. He hears it from everybody. It's going to take time, but he's not used to things taking time and he's not used to yes. this at all happening to him. The system is too damn, the system's too damn slow. Just, yeah, right. I mean, he says that and he says later, like, I've done everything I've worked. So, you know, I've worked for the system. I've worked for everything I ever had. I did what I'm supposed to do. That was the most ridiculous line in this yeah. whole movie. Like that, that movie, again, completely unwittingly sums up the entire politics of this movie. Right. Like he's like, I, I played by the rules. I, I obeyed the law. I pay my taxes. I... I got a good career. I did everything right. So like, why didn't this just, why, why did this happen? Right. So, you know, now he basically perceives himself just like everybody else, you know, now he is affected by violence the way everybody else is affected by violence. He's being affected by the criminal justice system the way everybody else is, but he's obviously not too, right? Because Dean Norris says, he even says like your wife's case is different, you know? 
and he means different in yep. like it's not gang related but he means different because you are a different social status you are white yep. that's the difference yep. here and, and moreover he, he's not only white but he's white and extremely wealthy right so i mean th- this film is just about how for the privileged and uber wealthy they would enact violence in a heartbeat if their life was changed and if they thought even falsely that they were you know on the same level as poor brown people and crucially i think even i think actually even more than the very wealthy this this movie speaks to the aspirationally wealthy yeah um because not only are there more of them so you, they they kind of get the sense that oh i'm i'm still part of the pack and i've, I've got to get beyond this but um there, there's more there's kind of more to lose in the sense that they're almost there and they can kind of almost taste what they think that they where they think they should be but um but if it weren't for those damn rules if it weren't for those damn regulations if it weren't for the damn system that i have to work through um which is really in place for for real assholes but not like just people not just like guys like me who need a break that that's what that speaks to more so than like the the one percent yeah think. for sure because he's not like the one percent he would be that like uh there was an article i think in the atlantic a few years ago like the 9.9 percent you know like he's mm. that upper middle class like you know these the people who are surgeons who are lawyers who in their mind they are doing you know a, a job which of course they are doing a job but you know they probably think oh i'm working for my living more than say you know a ceo does or or a hedge fund yep. guy um so they have that kind of like they're almost you could say um appropriating like kind of a working class sentiment right you know and and yeah and to, and to be clear and to be fair these professions are are necessary and, and they do very good valuable services but that doesn't make them better than janitors like that that, right. does, that and that's kind of that's kind of like the essence that's like the inherent that's like the essence of leftism right like kind of summed up like Bruce Willis surgeon doesn't deserve to be safe and doesn't deserve the creature comforts of a good home any more than the beat like the the I was going to say the beat <laughs> who, who, he, who, who he was talking to at, at the reception yeah but that but guy deserves to die fuck <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Willis surgeon doesn't deserve deserve anything he has in his life any more than the valet right in this insane boomer fantasy is a criminal just waiting to pounce right exactly yeah so i i I think um again this film like there there's so much to parse through um in in these small moments in these moments that are what you know in, in like screenwriting language would just be uh smaller beats basically like connective tissue yeah connective tissue just stuff you have to write to get to the larger beats of any story to get to you know uh the denouement or to get to the end of an act you know something like that um and yeah um i guess in in term in terms of those big beats like the the shootings themselves they're all pretty good they're all pretty well shot and very mm -hmm. clear and coherent action sequences um i particularly like the one where he shoots the ice cream oh yeah who which is obvious coded slang for a drug dealer mm-hmm. um but yeah again you can't elide the racial aspects of this oh, movie yeah. because this white this white vigilante guy is walking down the street of a black neighborhood in a fucking hoodie yep. um on the way to gun down this black guy um and of course the movie goes out of its way to justify it like the because the black guy had shot oh yeah he shot a child uh, the, on the, his the way ice cream, to the ice cream man yeah he, he shot one of his drug runner the kids that he um he forces to be one of his runners. Yeah. Although I think it was um, it was mentioned that like this kid wouldn't actually run drugs for him. Like I think that's why he was well, no, shot, the, right? 
yeah, that's what yeah. that's what I'm saying. The movie goes out of its way to justify the, the shooting of the ice cream man because it's established that the ice cream man um, physically harms and physically abuses and uh, forces these kids yeah. into being his runners. Right. right. So this kid was like, no, I don't want to. The ice cream man shoots him in the leg on his way to school. Um, right. And Bruce Willis, uh, he actually doesn't perform the surgery, but he's like checking him over after a surgery. And he gets the address from the kid's medical chart. Right. And then he goes to um, the ice cream man. And it's like, it's a well shot scene, actually. It's just, it's one shot. It's a very well shot it's, scene. It's, it's, it's yeah. just like one low angle shot. Um, the ice cream man is like in a lawn chair. He has like this um, just little old time like ice cream stall in front of him that one would assume yep. there's money and drugs in. I don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's exactly what yeah. it is because after he's shot, it, it, that the people run by oh, and grab yeah, yeah, people it. run and grab stuff out of it. Which is another powerful, that was, effective yeah. moment. Yeah. Like, and, and even in the blocking of the shot because Bruce Willis is walking towards the camera on the sidewalk and he's like, I'm looking for the ice cream man and the ice cream man looks up and he pulls out a gun from his waistband yeah. and he keeps it hidden mm-hmm. behind his leg, yep. hidden from Bruce Willis, but we can still see it. And it's just like basic things like that, like the blocking, the careful setup and the arrangement of of physical objects yep. in in, confl- in different lines of sight. Yep. Basic stuff, but this movie does it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie does it well. And if we're on those just like those uh, aesthetic kind of technical aspects, um, if that's a metric that people care about, then, you know, it, it's good definitely but like like you said the racial aspects of this scene are absurd are, i mean even like yeah. down to the ice cream man when he pulls his gun out it's like this very gaudy it's gold, gold yeah. gun like it's like a desert eagle but it's gold yep. um and then yep. like when he is killed bruce wells is like oh are you ice cream man he's like yeah who's asking he's like your last customer and then he just shoots him like seven times bang 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 yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and 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 speaking of guns like i just just kind of my cursory knowledge of gun culture it's it's specifically a glock that he found yeah. from a from mm-hmm. a dead person and glocks are like the cop gun yeah right it, it's, it's yep. like it's like guns that like like oh you, you need a glock because like that's effective and it's like carbon fiber and blah 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 like that it, it's it's like the operator style yeah. gun as opposed to like this this flashy and quote-unquote trashy like gold-plated piece right right yeah so even in that like there's racial politics it is it is insane like what they subconsciously put in this movie i'd imagine um and then even like when the ice cream man is killed and like his like cronies they steal his shit afterwards like that's another like very racialized random passerbys too they just i mean honestly good for them hell yeah like if it say get that shit yeah but like, <laughs> but like the the blocking of that shot is like you know, just like the idea of like black people looting things right like Lo- looting things from each from other. each other right yeah. Shoot, yeah, yeah. And, but and also like they all no one like he's the ice cream man surrounded by other of his minions basically like these other guys mm-hmm. who deal drugs and no one like shoots paul kersey after he shoots the ice cream man they just like run away i mean it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because i'm glad that like Paul Kersey didn't have to mow down. Yeah, I'm glad like it wasn't face, like another faceless, gigantic faceless, shootout. <laughs> faceless guards and just like have to like go through these disposable black bodies just to get to like the one who's doing the yeah, real crime. Oh, for sure. Um, and I, I, I guess that's actually kind of accurate. Like, if, like most people, if they see a shooting happen right in fucking front of them, they're gonna run. Like, yeah. sensibly, people are gonna run. Yeah. But I think it plays um, into so like the boomer mentality of like, oh, everybody, these like these cow- these thugs yeah. are actually cowards. Like they're a bunch of pussies. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. Um, and the other the other big set pieces are oh this this one's good this this is a very this is the most most Eli Roth esque one. 
um, when when Paul tracks down um, Joey, the sec- the rapist, yeah. home invader mm-hmm. who who tried to sexually assault his daughter, yeah. Um, and the only Joey, uh, yeah. again, you know, they are, they were more reserved for the the the, um, the daughter and and uh, and wife because in the original. Uh, death wish like it is a fairly brutal rape scene whereas in in this film um he just like tries to touch her he tries to and but then he, he doesn't he try he tries to feel her yeah. up and then the other one stops him because like we don't have time yeah. for that shit mm-hmm. like, right yeah. yeah so but so he, he doesn't save her because he's against rape or he thinks it's wrong he saves her specifically because it would be inconvenient for their other crime right yeah. so like to, to further drive home how evil they mm-hmm. are he the, the the sexual assault is stopped not because most people even burglar like burglars aren't inherently rapists like that, that there's not like that that's not equivalent not because of that but because like they're they're doing even more evil right yeah and they do reserve the most brutal death to this the, the wannabe rapist burglar joey yeah yeah he he's working in his car shop late and um paul kersey he knocks him out beneath the car and then he he ties him up beneath the car because he he hoists the car up higher um and he has him tied up beneath and everything and then he tortures him by by cutting his sciatic nerve in his leg because he knows that that's the most painful thing you can experience without blacking out it's like the longest strongest nerve in the human body and then yeah, he it, pours brake fluid on it, so a caustic agent, and without yes. um, going into cardiac arrest specifically. He was like, I learned that this is the most painful it can be without going yep. into cardiac arrest. I learned this in, in uh, medical school. Which is neat. And if we were to create my aforementioned superhero character, vigilante character, who's a surgeon, they would he would use that knowledge like during his like superhero work too like that's just but but um, th- th- this is the only time that this movie does that at all yeah no the only time um they make yes some parallel is then and then earlier when there's the montage where he's watching the videos getting red pilled and learning about guns right. he's also right. it's it's cut with shots of him performing a surgery like taking bullets out of people and, and like uh, stitching them back up or stapling them back up and stuff like that but that scene like unfortunately has the song back in black by acdc over oh, it so yeah dumb. so, so uh, whatever they were going and, for especially given the this movie's racial politics yeah. right? yes um, i mean so whatever they were going for really just in that scene is just undercut by that fucking song yeah and um i don't know he he gets the information he gets Knox, and he gets like Knox's contacts from from this guy joey yeah. and then he oh my god this is actually kind of a cool death scene he um he jerks the chain away of the bar that's holding up the car and it flies down and it slams on joey's yeah. head and joey's head like explodes mm-hmm. yeah he says and this is another good one-liner um joey's like oh so you're not gonna kill me and he's like no i'm not gonna kill you jack is because he moves the jack away from yep. the car <laughs> yep oh my god <laughs> so good um but uh, yeah that that's like eli roth's wheelhouse right like this extreme right. obvious like extreme gore and just like hilariously convoluted like de- like setups for deaths mm-hmm. and everything and we sort of get that as well in the liquor store slash bar slash right, uh, right. fencing operation yeah the this kind of like rube goldberg-esque um bowling display with a bowling ball yeah. which is set up above a above an, a hallway entrance which is a really <laughs> odd place to put a bowling yeah. ball but during the scuffle when when um bruce willis and the guy are fighting 
the guy has the drop on Bruce Willis isn't about to shoot him, but then the bowling ball had rolled off the shelf yep. and lands on his yeah, head. Yeah, the character of Fish. So the first of the yeah, uh, yeah. original three burglars um, who just like actually happens upon Bruce Willis and the other guy in the... Well, the, the other guy the, calls The other him. guy had sent yeah, out a text. he texts him. That's right, yeah. Surrept- surreptitiously yeah. texted mm-hmm. him. Uh, again, social media is like the the make it, it makes our it makes or breaks people's lives in this movie yeah so yeah after after paul kills the first two members of the home invasion he u- using the knowledge he gets from fish he's able to find and contact Knox, um who he tries to ambush at this nightclub because Knox has his contact information too um because because he knows who paul kersey is um, and Knox is like, oh, meet me at this club and or I'll tell the cops what you've been doing. And so when Paul goes down to the club, he actually, this is kind of funny, he passes in front of this window where like these go-go dancers and they're dressed up almost like Mr. Freeze. Yeah, so strange. They have like, they have like Freeze Gatling guns and they, they look like Mr. Freeze groupies from the Shul- the Schumacher movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, and they have like Daft Punk helmets on. It's really strange. Yeah, it, it, it's it's why it's like, it's a complete throwaway shot. We see it for like two yeah. seconds. Either that exists at um, that club, or like I don't know, they were just trying to add be, some color be. to it. It was really strange. <laughs> yeah, um, but Paul tries to ambush Knox. However, Knox gets the drop on him and almost kills him. But Paul's able to escape in the crowd by shooting at the lights. Essentially, it's it's kind of like a. It, it's actually a comprehensible bathroom shootout scene, but it, it's just not very. It's it's not as memorable as the ice cream man one or the, or the car yeah, one. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it just sets up the fact that Knox gets shot by Bruce Willis, and Bruce Willis gets shot by Knox. So Bruce Willis has to go to the hospital to um, fix his wound, but he does it like in his office, and then Knox gets actually right. like um, taken to the the hospital by an ambulance. His own yeah. hospital, yeah, which, which is interesting because they they're both aware of each other at this point. Mm-hmm. And actually, and then this is the part, I think, or it's actually, it's another hospital scene of Paul in his office where Vincent D'Onofrio like makes a point of trying to pay him his money back. Yes. I think it is during this. It's before. Is it before, before this? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Or is it, no, is it right after the, like. No, it's, it's, it's before because, um, at, when, when Paul is shot by Knox is when, um, Dean Norris right. kind of tries to come yes. and get him. But by the time they open up his office, he's, he's gone. gone. Yeah. Cause by this time they kind of figure out. And then he goes home and then his brother Frank is just waiting for him in his basement dungeon. Yeah, that's really interesting. So there's a scene before this where Frank Norris and his partner go to the batting cages to meet Frank because they know that the shooter, the Grim Reaper, is a left-handed, is left-handed mm-hmm. because he was seen shooting the gun in the first social media video with his left hand yes. and he got um, yes. a wound because like the, the recoil, the slide cut his, his finger. Yeah. in spe- specifically because they, they say he doesn't yeah, know how to he, hold he a only weapon holds it with one hand, which is absurd. Um, but obviously something we see in every action movie. So they right. know that Frank, Vince D'Onofrio is left-handed because he bets la- bats left-handed and he was a baseball prospect. So they go to him and they think he is the killer at first, but then they realize it, it's not because he doesn't have the hand wound. And that's also, um, this sets up the racial dynamics too, or not racial dynamics, class dynamics, because like, of course, they're going to suspect the down on his luck, more more blue collar union guy of doing vigilante violence. Then of course the the surgeon wouldn't do it, right? right? And the, well, they even say, they even say that he would probably have like connections on the street. Yep. So it could be him 
because he would know where to get, you know, like a, a gun, you know, a, a gun that's off the radar, you know, maybe something with the serial number, like, you know, cut off or whatever. And that, this, this scene actually also speaks to the, the writing economy, um, the efficient writing economy of, of this movie too, because when Dean Norris tells Vincent D'Onofrio, hey, can I see your hands? Because like, we're, with the implication of we're looking, we, we suspect you because we're looking for a hand wound. Vincent D'Onofrio remembers that he had seen Paul's hand wound too. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's why he shows up at his house. So like another movie would just kind of not use those two aspects in such, a, in such an efficient interlocking manner. But this movie did. And it's just little things that like help the plot move along in that way that are, that are neat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, Paul finds, um, or I should say Frank, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character finds Bruce Willis's character Paul's man cave where it's just like there's just beer cans and food just thrown around and there's guns and uh, tools everywhere in this like cement basement like I don't know it, it doesn't seem like a finished basement it's like cement yeah it's unfinished walls. it's may the only thing I could think of like maybe it's like his own like workspace for like doing home improvement yeah, projects probably. or whatever and like and like there's another half to the basement because it seemed really small for a whole basement mm-hmm. but i i i imagine like the other half of the basement is like finished like a like a tv yeah or whatever, for sure because i mean they're that, especially in that exactly, type of house that's the type of people they are they would have that for sure um yeah so he confronts bruce willis in the basement about being the grim reaper and well he i mean bruce willis comes down the stairs with a gun in his hand and he's like oh are you gonna shoot me too so it's pretty obvious he <laughs> I thought there would be a gag where he tries to shoot Frank but misses or something, and then like, I don't, I don't know. I, I just thought that. No, would No, I thought so too. Like, I thought he would think like it was one of the thugs coming for him, and he would just like accidentally kill him. I, I thought like literally he was oh actually going to kill him in that scene. In a better movie, they would do that because like that that's the kind of like, and that's that's the kind of logical endpoint for this kind of reactionary vigilantism. Yeah, right? but I do think like the the thrust of the character of Frank the foil as we've said previously to Paul's character is is yeah. interesting and, and it's and the conclusion within this film is really interesting because I mean he as we said is working class he lives kind of paycheck to paycheck he, there's something about a union job so maybe he works construction which is sometimes precarious employment um, right he, he doesn't have his own kids so like he treats jordan like one of his kids like they have like this really good you know uncle niece relationship um so it's like this is a guy who has way more to lose than paul but most people would think like he has less to lose because he's you know this kind of uh more precariously situated individual but like he actually has more to lose because he has so you know he has these these tight small relationships yeah he he has less which means he has more to lose because like because the 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 few stuff that the few things that he does have obviously mean more to him than this guy with a amazing big house and like everything and yeah they're they're interesting foils to play off each other um and this is that that especially comes to a head because like the first thing frank says to him when when paul comes in the stairs he's like you have to get rid of all this shit like right now and you have to stop this right now because like your, your daughter needs you and you're gonna get yourself killed right I mean, it's, it's, it's clear as day. I mean, that, you know, Frank's right in that moment, right? Like, yeah. this is exactly what, you know, any normal person should do. 
um, they should be taking care of their comatose daughter. And then uh, when she yep. gets out of the coma, someone who has to go into a rehab center to become rehabilitated to, you know, uh, talk, walk, all of these things, you know, memory retention um, and recall, you, you know, um, and it's interesting because throughout Frank does a lot of that. Like he goes to read at Jordan's bedside and he does it more than Paul does. Like there's one scene of Paul reading at Jordan's bedside, but like Frank is like constantly in the hospital. Right. And, um, and what puts a nice point on that scene is, is they get a call that at the, at the conclusion of their conversation when Jordan wakes up from her right. coma and they go to get her. And, um, this is shot really weird because like when they, when they take her, when, when Frank takes her home, like take le- wheels her wheelchair out of the, out of her hospital room it's shot like very the lights very soft mm-hmm. and it almost seems like like an imagined dream sequence yeah. and that kind of tracks with our reading of the of the finale yes. like the whole thing is is just a dream sequence i don't know if like paul has a heart attack and dies <laughs> or something because like because the stress of running around um but yeah he brings her he takes her home from the hospital um Knox, of course, finds them in the hospital and kind of gives them creepy vibes in the elevator. And then when after Frank leaves like the celebratory home dinner that they have, Knox and two more guys that he gets just like assault the the whole. It's like a classic home invasion, like boomer home invasion. Jordan hides beneath the stairs and Paul takes out two of like takes them all out like shooting them in like really cool action hero yeah. ways it's it's an absurd wish fulfillment sequence but i love it, it. Really like is. it's it's the perfect ending to this movie honestly like you know he gets yes. to defend the homestead that he was not able to defend previously basically yep he he regains his his potency right, he regains his manhood his masculinity his potency he gets he gets blue pills <laughs> Well, no. I mean, he basically gets even. He gets black pilled. Honestly. Well, I meant blue. I meant blue pilled like Viagra. Oh, that's good. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Huh, that's good. Okay. <laughs> yes, he yes. does get Viagra, but then he gets black pilled. Like, I mean, that's really yes. what happens for him here because he becomes that that tier one operator that he wishes he was. He gets to yeah, do these I, cool kills. Like he he shoots. Like, the kills are are really cool. Yeah. Like the one guy. So these guys have like these modded out fucking assault rifles. Like they're not just right. AR-15s. Like these are like military grade like weapons these yeah. guys have. Um, and he Dan Crenshaw yeah. style weapons. <laughs> he Dan Crenshaw lent his friends these weapons. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> they they rented these weapons from the Dan Crenshaw uh, Army Library. You know, my friends, they sometimes just need guns to go kill Bruce Willis. <laughs> go kill Bruce Willis. <laughs> that liberal elite Bruce Willis. Um, yeah, so like Bruce Willis like um, puts the shower on in his bathroom in the master suite, and he puts it like really, really? high, so like there's the steam pouring out of the bathroom, and the one. Uh, the one killer notices that. So he goes into the bathroom and Bruce Willis is like standing behind the door and just like, you see the gun come out from the left side of the screen, blam, shoots him in the head, spray of blood all over the door. Cool blood spray. Yeah, too. This is a cool blood spray, honestly. And then the next guy like comes in cause he hears the shot and he sees his yep. dead friend on the ground. Um, but Bruce Willis is under the bed and he uses the guy's gun, like his machine gun to kill the guy. Plus his actual handgun too. So he has in one hand, he has his dual dual wielding a handgun and a machine gun. (laughs) 
and he kills that guy and that guy flies back off the railing of because they're on the second yep. floor and his head uh hits the ground first and like he breaks his neck so not only is he like shot to yeah, shit yeah gets wrecked <laughs> yeah he just completely demolished and, and and he falls like right where jordan is hiding because she's under the stairs it's actually funny when right, the scene right. starts because uh, bruce willis looks out the window and he notices like oh there's a car out there that shouldn't be out there no no what he says is there's i i saw someone oh yeah i saw someone walking outside yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no he says like run by hide while i whip out my weapons yeah <laughs> so he like he like moves this dresser and he says nothing first he's just moving this dresser that's in the vestibule and because there's like a little compartment under the stairs and he just like starts shoving yeah. her in there he's like hey there was someone running by just you should get in here well, please no. Even before that, he's like, oh, Jordan, can we move yeah, this? Yeah. And she comes in and she helps him move. She's like, Dad, why are we doing this? And he opens up. He's like, just get me here. <laughs> See you of, later. police. I saw someone walking around inside. I'm going to go shoot him. <laughs> and then he puts the dresser like back in place. So, you know, no one would look under the stairs, of course. Um, then, yeah. you know, what we just said transpires. Those two guys are killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kills them. And then he's like, oh, Jordan, I'm alive. I'm going to go downstairs. Or yeah, because, well, he, he notices the light is on downstairs in his man cave. And it previously wasn't. Right. And the door is open. And, and and he yells at Jordan to stay there, and then he runs downstairs, and of course knocks wings him yeah. in the shoulder. It's like in the same spot. Yeah, too. I think in the same, more or less the same shoulder. Yeah, because because Knox is that sadistic and evil. Um, and then Bruce, he has he has Paul on the couch, dead to rights. He's like, oh, what are you gonna do? Like, blah, blah, blah. and then um, Bruce Willis is like, fuck you, and he 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 kicks his um, coffee table. Yes. Which is the official Gun Girl branded coffee yep. table that has a has a spring loaded AR fifteen um, compartment hidden beneath it, which pops out and Paul grabs it and just mows knocks down. Yeah, and knocks even like before that he says something like, "You ever heard someone like burn alive or something like that?" Like as if he's gonna like you know get he's gonna yeah immolate yeah. him, um, and actually or he's gonna he's gonna immolate Jordan, Jordan yeah, and then like yeah, make yeah. him uh, make uh, Kurt, Paul Kersey watch. Um, yeah, the gun uh, he pulls out, actually, and I had to look on um, Internet Movie Firearm Database for this. It yeah. is not an AR-15. It's something called a BDR-15-3G, whatever that alphabet soup means. Um, Big dick <laughs> revenger. <laughs> but, um, and it's like the pistolized version because it's smaller. It has a pistol grip um, and like a cutoff barrel. Okay. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like these kind of like skeletized versions of ARs. Um, but I think it's like in the M16 family, actually, I don't understand it, but it's also not a gun that you'd be able to buy anywhere, honestly, because it is, it's an automatic fire weapon, but they go out of their way for gun girl to say like, Oh, if she, like she gives him like a wink with nudge nudge Mm -hmm. when he buys the gun, she's like, you don't need paperwork. Like, nope, nobody fails the gun handling safety class. Like it's. I mean, this movie's wild. Yeah. This movie's utterly wild. And um, the wildest part of this entire film is in the denouement after after Knox and all his cronies are dead and um, Dean Norris Cop comes to clean up the scene um, and he's interviewing Paul and he's like, so you're telling me that the only people you've ever shot were these guys because you bought these guns earlier today yep. and you were just afraid that it would happen again. And you just wanted to make sure your daughter was safe and you've never shot anyone before in that hand wound that's been, looks like it's almost healed. You got that tonight. And the shoulder and wound he, like, you also got. And the shoulder wound. It also looks healed. He, like, you got tonight. He he lays out this, all this circumstantial like evidence and the circumstantial like um, hearsay and everything. And Paul's like, yep, that's it. And Dean Norris is like, well, 
Looks like you were just doing what any man would do if yep. someone tried to harm his family. It's like, I'm, I'm going to drop the matter. So, like, this blatant police corruption for this bougie white fucker who, like, who just murdered people, like, who he very plausibly suspe- suspects of having murdered people for, like, months up to this yep. point. Just... Yeah, why not? Man's got to do. Man's got to protect his homestead. Yep. Well, and this actually happens in the original as well. So there is a cop who suspects that it is uh, Charles Bronson, Paul Kersey, because he's like, okay, this guy's a war vet. Um, it's most likely a war vet who is able to do these, you know, kill these people in this vigilante style. Um, right. And I think he goes to like the DA towards the end of the movie, and he's like, "Hey, I'm pretty sure it's this Paul Kersey guy. Let me go bring him in." But the DA is like, "No, just like tell him to get the fuck out of here and like do this kind of shit in a different city." Interesting. So it's also a tacit endorsement, um, just like this yeah, one. Yeah, but mean, in this one, it's the cop who's actually doing it as opposed to the DA. That's yeah. That's I mean, I mean, honestly, like I, th- th- this is one of those s- sequences that like I'm positive has happened in real life before, just like white well hooked up bougie people getting away with enacting violence oh, because sure. like cops cops are willing to look the other way like are you fucking oh, kidding me sure. like th- this movie again like like that that's like the ultimate bow on top of this movie's unintended message like because like that is what happens in fucking real mm. life oh something like this uh happens all the time i'm sure yeah uh, yeah not, i'm not surprised by it you know i mean especially no. in states where we have stand your your ground laws i mean that's the point of those laws is just to be able to get yep. away with killing uh, some random person on your quote unquote homestead. And also what happens all the time in real life is cops go home to beat their families, beat their wives. And I'm sure that's what Dean Norris is. T- There's at least like a, what, a, a 60% chance that that's what Dean Norris's character did after oh, the yeah. scene. Right? No, he, I mean, he's just like altogether awful. Like he has that one line um, where when they're talking like through the Bluetooth on Bruce Willis's car uh, and he's like Bruce Willis. The, there's oh like a panhandler God, yes. who's wiping his windshield, and he's like, "Hey, give me some money, give me some money." And Bruce Willis is like, "Oh, this fucking guy does this all the time." And and Dean Norris is like, "Oh, just run him over. It wouldn't be a crime." And I mean, what's fucking terrifying is they're trying to make that not a crime, right. like to to run over people, like who are, who are like protesters, yep. like like that. To the best of my knowledge, recently that w- that was defeated. That mo- that that legislation didn't get mm-hmm. through, but like. They're trying to make it fucking okay. If you, if someone annoys you, you can run over someone. You can just run them over. Specifically, a poor person or a political leftist, but you know, right, right, um, yeah. So, well, and then the last, the absolute last scene of the film right. is in New York right. City. Um, Bruce Willis has actually moved to New York, um, a little ways away from. Uh, he says like three stops away from NYU where Jordan is going to school. He says, if you never need me, call me. He hugs her. They say goodbye. And he sees um, this guy stealing off of um, like a, a valet. It's a damn valet. Yeah. It's the, the, the valets is to Paul what bats were to Batman. Yeah. Like they're, like they're the instigator <laughs> of like his vigilantism and they're, they're the ones yeah. that he's out to But get. this valet is being stolen from by like just some random criminal who's an Asian guy at the end. Right, right, yeah. right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, I, I guess it's just like the the in Batman to make my my ridiculous analogy for it. Like Batman isn't against bats, <laughs> but like it's the, it's the, it's the whole theme of like bat of of yes. bats is what drives him. And the, mm-hmm. the whole theme of like valets and every, everything that that entails yeah. is what drives mm-hmm. Paul Kersey. Yep, definitely. Um, but yeah, he 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 does the handgun yeah. thing, the gun with his he does fingers. the finger gun to him, which is exactly what Charles Bronson 
Paul Kersey did at the end. Um, I think like in the train station, I think at like Grand Central, I think is what he does yeah. in, in the original. I, I have seen that scene and that, that does happen yeah. in Grand Central Station. Um, so, and, and to me that means like, okay, so obviously he's killed all three of the people who assaulted his family, killed his wife, put his daughter in a coma. Um, he says he's done with it. He says it's a Dean Norris, but it, given the opportunity he will do this again you know he will do it he will justify his bloodlust by taking down someone who steals from a valet or just any random thing just like the original you know it is just like you got a taste for it and now you're going to keep doing it in this justified manner so yeah that's it's fucking death wish and it ends of course with another reprise of back in black oh my god that's right i forgot about that i, I shut it off immediately i was like nope fuck that <laughs> i don't need to hear it again and, Bru- and bruce willis is wearing black in that, that yeah scene too. so like, yeah oh, he, he's back he's, he's the gonna, grim reaper he's back in black and he's gonna kill some more black people yep. um but yeah workers of note uh the first interesting one we have here is is kind of a weird one uh herbie hancock um the great jazz musician he he did the soundtrack to the original 74 movie yep um and it's a kick it's a kick it's a kick no but it's honestly, really it's a good it's just so strange it's really good yeah it, it you know everyone's gonna eat and yeah. we can we, we should link that in the show notes because it's a really good um it's a really good score throughout it's it's very like energetic and kind of kinetic and and like raw and good it's a, it's a good score for a movie that kind of doesn't deserve yeah, it definitely and it's better than the score for this movie by ludwig Göransson, who is uh, you know i like his score for venom it's a great score but yeah he he does he does good work in general um uh, it's just he, he you can't nobody bats a yep. thousand mm-hmm. nobody bats a thousand except for vincent <laughs> yeah that's very true um shout out even though he's not one of our workers of note but uh still shout out great actor all around um, continuing the workers of note, we have here um, the special effects department. So we have Andre Christophilus, special effects coordinator in the Chicago unit, uh, Louis Craig, uh, special effects supervisor, Rodman Kaiser, special effects foreman in the Chicago unit, Dennis Levine, special effects coordinator, Bruce A. Strong, special effects supervisor in the Chicago unit. Yeah, and, and another person we have here, another worker. Um, Michael Monar, he's the Russian arm operator for the Chicago unit. Unit, and uh, that was actually neither one of us knew what no the hell Russian arm was. was. Uh, it's a it's a camera rig that's set up. Uh, it's designed to go on a car to shoot um, to shoot driving sequences, um, presumably of a car that's next to the car with the Russian arm yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of neat. We learned something from the IMDb, IMDb uh, dive that we did. Yep. Uh, so Nick, who would you recommend this movie to? So for our broke recommendation, we have a very, very superficial aspect. Um, Eli Roth, Gorehounds, who just wants some creative, uh, kills, uh, that are done in a movie that's not a horror movie distinctly. Mm -hmm. Um, you you still get a lot of that kind of cool tactile goriness that comes out. And, um, I'm, I'm specifically thinking of the, the car shop death scene where he, where he crushes the guy's head. Uh, it, it's it's neat. It's kind of a creative kill, and if that's your that's your thing, it's a good scene. Yeah, our woke recommendation is for vigilante genre type fans. Um, I don't think these films are something that are necessarily and inherently reactionary, um, and I think they are, and just genre films in general are worth examining. So you know. Don't give up on these types of films, folks. Um, there is a lot there, 
And um, I think this also kind of ties nicely into our bespoke. Take it away, Nick. Right. Yeah. Um, our bespoke rec- our bespoke recommendation is for <laughs> is for would be uh, leftist propagandists like ourselves um, who could use a good object lesson in the utility and necessity of um, the political power of popular culture. Right. Like like Lewis was saying specifically with um, with genre filmmaking. Um, it's it's fertile ground to introduce political ideas um and not only to introduce political ideas but to do so in an, in an entertaining in meaningful in moving way um in a lot of popular culture a lot of specifically genre filmmaking um is very right wing is very reactionary um wittingly or un- unwittingly um but as leftists we can't just cede that ground to them we can't just we can't just abandon like popular culture to like Ben Shapiro types who want to write their like murder fantasies <laughs> of brown of black and right. brown people. Um, you can you can not only make uh, leftist genre films, but you can do leftist interpretations of reactionary genre films, like what we do. <laughs> um, and, and and you can retain it. To, you can retain those films to some degree from just becoming red meat for chuds, and that's. I guess that's like the thesis statement of this podcast, right. <laughs> like what I what I hope we try to do. Um, but yeah, not only not only are we trying to like save the good aspects of bad movies that are just bad on an artistic level, but we're trying to do that on a political level too. And and this is kind of like Death Wish twenty eighteen is like the most blatant example I think that we've done so far of that project. Yeah, I think so, and I I don't think this will be the only one. I think it is it is worth oh, examining no. um, a lot of more. Um, quote unquote, you know, reactionary films. Um, maybe even the next Rambo film. I mean, that's going to be absurdly reactionary. Oh my God. He takes down like Mexican yep. drug cartels. Um, yep. And of course, Sylvester Stallone is a very reactionary figure. I mean, he's way more outspoken than Charles Bronson was. And I did do a little digging. I think Charles Bronson was um, a Republican, but. I mean, that, that, that's not surprising no, whatsoever. No, but, you know, he wasn't as outspoken as someone like John Wayne or, or like Sylvester Stallone or, of course, Bruce Willis. Right. Um, yep. So, yep. yeah, I don't know, folks. I mean, more to come. This isn't a film series we're making, but um, it's it's going to be rec- a recurring theme of some of the episodes we do. For sure. Um, yeah, we're, we're not just going to give up on on reactionary movies because like some reactionary movies are very good some you 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 should certainly be aware of a movie's politics um genre or otherwise but like you don't you don't just write it off and you you don't you don't just say that they shouldn't be made you 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 bring a leftist criticism to those movies and you introduce people to leftist criticism so they can be aware of these movies when they inevitably do get made and they can make those leftist reads and they can improve their own leftist politics. Right. And then, you know, the next step from there is for the, you know, leftist artists to be able to make their competent uh, genre leftist films that also, you know, have um, some underlying maybe even some conscious message because uh, that's how you know it really it works it's these reactionary films um up front they're about entertainment they're about the the gore yep. they're about the explosions but underlying uh messaging is generally reactionary and and it seeps into the culture it seeps into not only boomer brains but millennial brains gen x brains really any brain that sees the film you know it's it's just like this constant yep. assault um, so that's what leftists needs to do constantly assault everybody with their politics, but in a very sly and smart way through genre filmmaking. 
Yes, yes, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that wraps it up. Just un- un- unconscious and unwitting um, political messaging is everywhere, and um, you just you can't pretend it isn't, and you have to confront it head on, um, and you have to do so uh, forcefully. Uh, Retarded, <laughs> <to me>, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thanks for listening to this episode i'm sure uh, a lot of you wanted to stop the minute we said it was death wish 2018 uh thanks for giving us a chance yes thank you we appreciate it bruce bruce willis and, and charles bronson thank you too. <laughs> the wrong one's dead so <laughs> see you next time folks bye